You're listening to the Be A Better Lawyer podcast with Dina Cataldo, episode 248. So how do high achieving lawyers break through generations of being taught that we have to grind ourselves into the ground to get results for clients, build a successful business and create a life we love? While law schools are busy teaching the rule of law, they're slacking on teaching us how to be a better human to create for ourselves the success we thought we'd achieve after law school. This podcast bridges the gap between law school and life. Hello and welcome. I hope you are having a lovely week. Today, I have a very special guest for you. I can't wait to share. Shannon Clark is a patent litigator who describes herself as a science nerd and an athlete. She's also one of my clients, and today she is sharing so much good stuff with you to help you organize how you think about and approach your law practice, no matter what kind of law you do. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, including how to build a supportive firm culture, retaining great associates, taking vacations in a busy practice, the tips that made the biggest difference for her in taming burnout. She tells us how she needed to look at her calendar differently and approach her calendar differently to help her live a better life. And she also tells us how to deal with those days when you have counsel who are sending you emails and you're telling yourself they're just so darn difficult. She'll share with you the thoughts she practiced the most that helped her make consistent progress while we were working together. And if you are a trial attorney, you need to stay till the end of this episode because she shares how you can reapproach thinking about your trial practice so you can do it without burning out. And this is the same strategy that I started to use at the end of my practice, and it really made the difference. And she uses it, and she has really started to see the difference in her practice. We talk a lot about time management in this episode. So if you are here for that, you are going to get so much good stuff too. I'm going to put the Busy Lawyer's Ultimate Time Management Guide, the link in the show notes at dinacataldo.com forward slash 248, because it includes principles we talk about in this episode. I highly recommend you download that guide if you resonate with our conversation. All right, my friend, without further ado, here is our conversation. Shannon, thank you so much for being here because I just appreciate the fact that you're willing to be here and help lawyers see what's possible for them. So I just want to say thank you. Of course. Can you introduce yourself for our, our audience today? Yes, I am Shannon Clark. I am a partner in the life sciences litigation division at a firm in New York. And I mainly focus on patent litigation and that involves pharmaceuticals or biotech. Mm. And then I'm also have been involved and want to get more involved in the firm's recruiting and professional development efforts to help others like me. And then outside of work, I am married to a wonderful man who does laundry. (laughs) I love that. And I am a mom. I have a five-year-old girl and a nine-year-old Labrador retriever, who is my firstborn. Yes, I agree. My dog is my first and only born. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I know that we've had some conversations about this, like women in in tech. 
is that something that you're kind you kind of explore in terms of like trying to get more women involved? Yes. You know, we end up recruiting a lot of women to the firm, but over time they leave or decide that this isn't for them. And in order to increase diversity in our ranks, I think we've got to do more than we're currently doing. And I feel like I made it. (laughs) So what is it about my experience that helped me get there and what can we improve in order to see more women at the top? I actually think we've had some conversations about this because you are heavily involved in your firm around improving the experience of the associates within the firm. Yes. So not only recruiting for summer associates at the firm, but also working with our professional development committee to make sure that associates are happy and fulfilled and that, you know, I can do whatever I can for them to make sure that they want to stay and that they're happy and that they have a place at the firm where they feel like they can thrive. Yeah, that's so important. And I think it all starts with our development and how we're approaching our job and how we can improve whatever systems we've got going on so that we can then help mentor people who are coming after us. And I know that that's something that you're committed to. Yes. Yes. I want to be an example and not just an example of work your butt off to get there, but how can you do it and also have a life? Yeah. And you're a litigator. So you do work your butt off. Like there's seasons where there are intense periods and that's something that, you know, you have brought to coaching and, you know, problem solved for in ways that, you know, you can now help your associates coming after you and teach them those same things. Yeah. Not only teach them, but also sometimes as their boss, make sure that they're doing it for themselves and that they have the opportunity to actually have a life outside of work. Yeah. And that's so important because so many lawyers don't do that. They have been brought up in a system where it's expected. I'm curious how you direct your associates to make sure they're taking care of themselves. It's checking in with them a lot, making sure that, you know, they're supported in their work. They've got the resources and the backing that they need, any kind of guidance that they need for their work. But also making sure that, you know, they're eating lunch, they're leaving at a normal hour, they're doing what they want to do on the weekends, paying attention to how long it's been since they've had a true vacation. I mean, I even had an associate where she said that she was having a medical problem and didn't hadn't had the time to go to the doctor. And I just bothered the heck out of her until she finally went and it was fine. But it's that kind of thing where I want them to be able to take care of themselves. Yeah. I mean, it does take a certain amount of attention that if you're not cultivating that within yourself, you can't give. I know I was in that position where I was the lawyer who had like medical thing. And I just was like, oh, this isn't a thing. And then they had to tell me that it was a thing and (laughs) needed to handle it. So it is important to have those structures in place. And sometimes that means paying extra attention and taking time out of your day to check in on people. 
Yes. And knowing that, you know, I might be picking up the slack for them if they're going on vacation, but that they need it and it'll make them a better person and a better lawyer when they have that time. Yeah. And I'm curious what you would say to this, but a lot of lawyers are afraid to go on vacation because they don't want to bother someone or they don't want people to think they can't handle it or they think they need to be on call 24 hours on vacation because their boss is expected of them. I'm curious what you would say to that. Yeah, I think that's probably true for a lot of people and it sort of depends on your relationship with your boss. And, you know, for me, when I was younger, I would take vacations, but, you know, I would send that email ahead of time that says I'm out of the office, but I have my laptop and I'm available at this number and let me know if you need anything. Right. (laughs) You know, over time, I eventually had bosses that would say like, look, we've got it handled. (laughs) You know, you go take your vacation, take the time that you need you know, if there is a true emergency, we'll let you know. And then I think also at the same time, making sure that I am planning for my own vacation and have things in order before I leave and have anything covered by other attorneys that needs to be covered. So I don't feel unsettled when I go on vacation. Yeah, I am. I did a podcast on this because there have been several clients who want to take a vacation and think they can't take a vacation. So I'm going to link to the podcast where I broke down Mm -hmm. the system. Really, I've gone through with multiple people, I think even including you. So I'll link to that in the show notes for anybody who wants that. Yeah. And I mean, with litigators, we, you know, we have scheduling orders in place in our cases. And once you're around enough cases, you get a sense of when there are going to be lulls in the work. And you can think ahead to when a vacation is going to be good for you and the team. Yeah. And then you, what I've done is to schedule out in advance, not only my vacations, but also talk to associates about this would be a good time to take a vacation if you want to take one and let's coordinate so that there's going to be coverage and that no one feels like things are going to get left undone. Yeah. And when I was talk, when I was um, a prosecutor, and I've just talked recently to some people who are in the unit where I, I used to be, there was um, basically nobody wanted to take vacation because they were scared because you could have, I don't know, 40, 50 trials on calendar and you just freeze because you think I can't possibly take vacation because I'm going to drop a ball. I'm going to miss something. Something's going to slip through the cracks. Or if you're doing prelims, like in our, in our system, it was just, you know, you'd have 10 prelims a day, five prelims a day. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't possibly take a vacation. I'm just going to offer, if you're listening to this and you're one of those people know that you have to take vacation. If you don't take vacation, you will kill yourself literally like your health will deteriorate. And not only that, you're going to put yourself in a position where you're so mentally drained that you're not going to be able to perform at your job. And you are going to either burn out and end up being quitting because you think there's no way you could possibly go on, 
or you're just going to be so miserable that you're going to push through it and create so much pressure on yourself that it's going to just feel horrible all of the time. So I encourage you to talk to your leads, to talk to your supervisors and say, hey, this is what's going on. I, I would like to take a two-week vacation. Yes, I know. Two weeks sounds horrible. One-week vacation, whatever. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> right? Two weeks, two weeks just sounds insane, right? But let's say one week where you could take vacation and their whole job is to help you survive <laughs> those units, right? Like to survive yes. those kinds of things. So even if you feel like it's impossible, talk to your boss about how you can make it work within the system that you have. Um, do you have anything you wanted to add to that? No, I don't think so. I think um, maybe one thing is that because you are, <laughs> I guess maybe the way that I've gone about taking vacation and how I've encouraged the associates that I work with to take vacation is a little less of asking, you know, when's the right time? What if I just take two or three days here or make it a long weekend? Go ahead, figure it out. And then your job and your colleagues can work around it. That's a great advice. That's rather than, fabulous. you know, trying to fit yourself into everyone else's schedule. Yeah, like that is true. Because if you go in there and you don't have a plan, I mean, you want to go in with a plan. You don't yes. want to make their job harder. Also, you don't want to be kind of mealy mouthed going in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I need to take a vacation. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit around why you wanted to work with me. Like what kind of tipped you into the direction of getting coaching? Yeah. So I was more or less at my wits end, probably burnt out. I was exhausted. I was stressed. And at one point my husband was just like, you have got to do something about this. Um, and I think he knew, you know, from me telling him as well that I don't want to quit my job. I like my job. I'm doing what I want to do. I just don't know how to keep doing it and be happy. Hmm. And so I, one of the things I do is I listen to podcasts mm -hmm. and I think I probably just searched for like lawyer work-life balance <laughs> and found your podcast. And I think I probably listened to two or three and you always sort of say, you know, think about booking a strategy session. And at that point it was like, oh, you know, this, I think this might work. Like if I have someone who's objective, but who's also been in my shoes, who understands the give and take of being a lawyer, that I could probably figure out how to stay a lawyer, but then be happy about it. Hmm. Okay. So when you booked a call, like what were your expectations? Like, did you have any idea what was going to happen? No, I really didn't have many expectations. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be about. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think it was probably like more of planning and scheduling and, and how to organize my life. And instead it was a little bit more introspective. 
And that's probably what I ended up needing the most. <laughs> yeah, we, we really do kind of get into some topics when we're on that strategy session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think people really like anticipate the it's it's almost like a soul searching right yes. <laughs> yeah i really i was forced to think about what i was happy with and what i wasn't happy with hmm. but it also sort of gave me the sense of yeah there's a lot of obstacles but they're not insurmountable you can figure it out yeah there was actually a point i don't know if you remember this but there was a point where you kind of had this like deer in the headlights look and, and I could pick up on it and I, and I was like, Hey, what's going on? And you, and I think it was something to the effect of you didn't want to upend your life. Like it to you, you thought maybe you needed to upend your life in yeah. order to make change. Can you tell me what your thought process was? And then if you remember that conversation, how it went? Yeah. I think when you are burnt out and you're stressed, you think only a big change is going to bring a big result. And so I, I probably thought going in like, you know, I'm going to have to go part time at my job in order to achieve work life balance, or maybe I need to go to a different firm or go in house in order to be happy and still get to do what I want to do. But I think probably that deer in the headlights moment was like, no, you're in control here you can make small changes to your life and take back control and keep doing what you want to do and, and achieve that happiness. Yeah. I, and our brain works that way. It does think that we need to upheave everything and it underestimates the impact of seemingly simple, small things in order to achieve the larger result. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's fabulous. I know that we had a conversation around it. It was something to that effect of like, we're going to break it down really small. Don't worry. Like we're going to just start with the foundations and then move forward. How did that pan out for you? What was your experience overall in the work that you've been doing and seeing that change? Yeah, it ended up being small little changes in action and mindset that made the biggest difference. Like I think I would tell you, I would sit at my desk and just keep working, thinking like, oh, I'll just do a little bit more work here and get this task done. Um, I'll just skip lunch so I can be done. <laughs> and I think at some point you sort of said like, really? Like, are you going to get it done tonight? <laughs> I'm a little sassy, y'all, if yeah. you hear this. You, little... <laughs> yeah. Why not just like do you really think that you have to keep going? <laughs> and I was just like, oh yeah, I guess I don't. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't all need to get done right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we've all been there where we're really hard workers. And if you're listening to this, you're probably high achieving, really hard worker. You get to four o'clock, five o'clock, and you have a gym thing scheduled. For me, it was yoga. For you, it was running. Mm -hmm. And you get to that time when you think you're going to go and you think, well, if I just do this one thing, I'll get ahead. Or if I do this one thing, it's going to feel really good. But that's the short-term dopamine hit yes. versus the long-term, I want to create a life I love dopamine hit. Yeah, exactly. 
And I realized that what I thought I was achieving, I was not achieving. Like I was not, you know, finishing up a task. I was just working more and never really getting to the finish line. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how we really think this is going to be the difference between me getting it done and not getting it done if I skip my gym tonight? Yeah. 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 I mean, and I would literally skip meals like on weekends. My husband would leave me at the computer at, you know, 7 a.m. and he would come back at like noon and I would still be in my pajamas working away. And then he would come bring me food and set it next to me and come back two hours later and I hadn't touched it. And I think that's when he was like, okay, <laughs> about this. We need to make sure Shannon's eating. <laughs> yeah. I think at one point he said like, I am the only person right now in charge of your survival. <laughs> you are no longer in charge of yourself. You can't keep yourself alive. <laughs> You know, it's hilarious looking back at it, but I'm sure in the moment you're like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So literally like a lot of this was putting myself back in charge of my own survival and eating and doing what I want to do. Okay. Let's do a comparison of that Shannon versus today's (laughs) Shannon. What's what's going on with you? Are you still doing that? No. I certainly still have the urge to do it. I still have those thoughts at five o'clock. That's like, oh, I'll just, I'll just do a few more minutes of work and finish up this one section of a brief or, okay, you know, I'm, I'll just wait until 1 PM to eat. But now, as soon as that happens, I stop myself and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. It does not need to get done right now. It is yeah. more important that you eat and get that energy and sustenance than finishing this one paragraph of a brief. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I do the same thing. Like, it's not like I'm immune to it. You know, it's, I notice myself having the urge to work more and I love what I do. So it's not as if my brain says, oh, this is a problem. It's like, oh no, this is great. I love this. Yeah. But what's happening is, is if I, if I let that happen, I'm not caring for myself as a human. I'm just looking at myself as a robot who just enjoys this one thing. It's like, no, we have these multifaceted lives where we take food in and we go outside and you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, we just, we just need to pay attention to it. Um, okay. So one of the things that I want to ask you about is your relationship with time. Cause we had, um, when we first talked during the strategy session, you said, you know, I asked this question I say, what's your relationship with time? Zero being absolutely horrible, 10 being fabulous. And you gave me a four. And then I checked in with you four months later and you said it was a 6.5 to a seven. So you had like changed that, right? It's just like, so I'm really curious I, I I don't know. Do you mind if I check in where you are right now? Like if on zero to 10, your relationship with time, what that looks like now? Man, I would say it's gone up. I'd say it's like an, an eight and a half and nine. I still like the range. I like giving a range. <laughs> yes, you're a range person. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me what's shifted for you. Well, I think I, I think the major shift was that I control the time. Mm -hmm. Time doesn't control me. 
Yeah. When did you realize that? Start working and end working. (laughs) It sounds simple, but like, how did you figure that out? (laughs) Yeah. Cause I would, I would have periods of time where I would tell you, like, I just get in the zone and you know, it's eight o'clock at night. And all of a sudden I look at the clock and it's 12 PM at night and I'm just not paying any attention. And it just happens. And I think you were like, we'll pay attention. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know that I actually said it like that, but maybe I did. No, you didn't. <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> you probably did something like, can I just offer to you that you can actually stop when you want to stop? That sounds more like it. <laughs> I think realizing that I was not paying attention to time was a big factor in in my relationship with it. And then instead of just letting it go with the flow and uh, winging it basically, which is how I was doing, mm-hmm. um, I got into the habit of keeping a schedule. And, you know, I've, we all have our work calendars where we've got our meetings on there and I'll put in personal appointments in there too, but I wasn't actually scheduling my whole day or whole week start to finish. And I started doing that and actually setting start times and end times for not only, you know, for lunch and at the end of the day, but even for tasks, like I'm going to stop at 445 to wrap up my work close my email, flag any emails that I need to, you know, save my spot in this brief so that I have enough time to close my computer and leave the office to get my train. Right. This time. So it was really um, making sure that I was building in enough time for myself, start and end times. But then also, (laughs) I think the biggest part was rather than starting with work and then filling in the gaps. It was starting with what I wanted to do each day for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then working in work around that. Yeah. So instead of writing down, you know, start work at 9am, I was writing, get up and run at, you know, 630am. And then working from there to figure out, okay, when can I actually start working after my run? Yeah. I think that's a a big thing. And that's probably where I sense some resistance with lawyers at first when I'm working with them. It's like, oh, I shouldn't put my time first. That's not possible. I can't do that. And what they do, if you hear that, that's my dog, Frankie. (laughs) I'm sure he's protecting me from the mailman. Um, So what I get is I can't do that. That's that's not going to work. And then they start implementing it. And they start seeing, oh, this actually helps me frame my day. So I'm not working till eight o'clock at night. I'm actually setting myself up for success long-term in my practice by giving myself what I need. What would you say to lawyers who have that resistance to what you just offered them, which is putting your time first? Um, If they're in this position where they say, I just can't do it, like that's not going to work for me. I think there's two things. I think the first is that having experimented with it, I realized that it made me a 
better worker and a better wife and a better mom to put myself first and have me time. I just showed up better for everyone else. And so in that sense, it, it benefited me, but it also benefited everyone else. And that's sort of the point. I mean, when we think about our careers, we want to do a good job for everyone around us. And sometimes we don't realize that making time for ourselves makes us better in other aspects of our lives. And then the second aspect of it, which I realized in practice, but the first time I actually heard this, I think was on one of your podcasts where you were saying that, you know, if you give yourself a set amount of time to get something done, you can get it done. So I think your example was, you know, the judge gave you lunch in order to go back and research this particular issue. And you could have spent a couple of days researching it, but you only had one hour and you fit it in with that hour and you got it done. And I came to realize that I can do the same thing. Like I can give myself a set amount of time to do this particular research or write this you know, discovery letter. And if I give myself a certain amount of time, I will make sure that I do a good job within that amount of time. And those tasks don't end up going on forever. Yeah. Yeah. And that gives me more time in the day to do the things that I want to do. Yeah. And one of the things I hear in relation to that, that I don't know how long a task is going to take. And that's okay. You don't have to know right away how long a task takes. You can overestimate the time for it, like give yourself plenty of time. But if you're not experimenting and you're not saying, okay, I anticipate this estate plan or this contract to take three hours or two hours, if you don't start somewhere, you're never going to have a more accurate assessment of it so that you can use that estimate in the future. So just, I love the word that you use and and I use it too, is using your calendar and experimenting Mm -hmm. because you might find that running at 630 in the morning isn't going to be great on certain days. You'll just find that out and versus giving up and saying, oh, I just can't do this. You just say, okay, well, this is an experiment. It didn't work. Tuesday. So I'll try it on Wednesday. Let's see how this, this rolls. So those are things, if you're, if you're hearing this and you're relating to this, make sure you're treating your calendar, not as punish a punishment device where you are beating yourself with it or like not giving yourself enough time, but really using it as um, a tool, which is what it is. It's just a tool to help you live the life you want and use your time and decide where your time goes. Yeah, it's less of a goal for me that the idea is not to check off everything on my calendar and make sure that I did it exactly when I said I was going to do it, <laughs> but to use it as a guide. And like like you said, experiment and not feel guilty when something doesn't work. Just see it objectively and try something else. Yeah, so important. Like just we beat ourselves enough uh, beat ourselves up enough that we don't need to use the calendar to beat us up more. <laughs> um, there was a thought that came up and this is also in relation to the calendar, but when we were working together and I hear this a lot from lawyers, which is the thought that you're, you're afraid 
I'm afraid I'll miss something. Do you still have that thought come up? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How do you handle it like before versus now? Um, I think that I don't get it as often now because I plan out my week on Sundays. And I think before I even start putting in each day, I already have a list of like to do's or appointments kind of like I have the list of things that needs to go into the calendar. Um, and then I work from there so I can see if I've missed anything, um, and go back and put it in. But I think I've also just become a little less concerned about the consequences if I miss something, because I know that I've built in extra time to get it done, or I've realized that it's not a big deal if something gets missed. So I think I just have a different relationship with that kind of thought. It doesn't, I don't have the fear with it anymore. It's just another thing that's going to happen. Yeah. This is so important. This, I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. We can let that drive what we're doing. And then we really do start missing things. Mm -hmm. We really create so much pressure. We can't think or problem solve. And how I heard you say that was really, you went from having that fear to then just recognizing it's a fear and it's likely unfounded and being able to be the observer of your mind instead of being driven by the fear. Yeah. And yeah, realizing that it's probably unfounded, but also realizing that it is going to happen every once in a while and that's okay. You deal with it when it comes. Yeah. That was actually something I had another coaching call with this week. It's sometimes you know something's going to happen, right? Like somebody's going to ask you to do something. Some There are going to be p- people who come through your door asking you questions. Instead of worrying about them coming in and taking your time, just say, oh, well, that's just something that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and just plan for it. Make a little extra time on your calendar. Yeah. And I think realizing that other people don't necessarily have ill will when they come to you last minute. Yes. Stop by your door. That happened to me um, last week where another partner had a family issue and a ball got dropped and I ended up taking it up on a Friday night, but I didn't have any sort of emotional reaction to it because it wasn't the other partner's fault. It wasn't my fault. It needed to get done and we got it done without, you know, any problem. Yeah. The drama our brain creates can make things take so much longer and feel worse. But when you approach it like you did, it's like, no, I just get it done. Yeah. Yeah. That, That brings me to another area I wanted to ask you about is how you handle and everybody has had them like an opposing counsel that you just think like, oh, this guy's such a jerk. I can't believe it. You know, whatever it is. Right. But how do you deal with your brain when it does what it naturally does and does assume the worst? Because that's where our brain always goes is, is just this negativity bias of, oh, they must be doing this on purpose or they are behaving a certain way because of their tone of the email. How do you handle that now? <laughs> I mean, I had 
so much anxiety over dealing with opposing counsel, especially if I ever, I mean, over email, because you know how attorneys can be over email. We're Um, so short. Like we're just like, we just type in like robotically. Yeah. I mean, we have such gusto over email, not on the phone, (laughs) but, but I would have so much anxiety and so much angst over dealing with opposing counsel, like thinking to myself, like they hate me. They hate my client. Like, I just know that they're going to yell at me. And, and I think I realized that I had that same sort of judgment back that like they're, they feel like, you know, they have this (laughs) self-righteous attitude and they can do no wrong. Um, But I think I came to realize I think one, I experimented with how best to handle opposing counsel. Um, I kind of experimented with it to see the best way to get the results for the client. Cause at the end of the day, that's what matters. Right. Um, and realizing that, <laughs> you know, I don't, know the reasons behind why opposing counsel is doing what they're doing. They may have a perfectly valid reason to write that snarky email. They may not realize that they wrote a snarky email. Um, So instead of trying to assign malice towards them, I'm always trying to think of, well, what are they trying to get out of this? What am I trying to get out of this? How do we both get out what we want? And to go about it in a much more calm manner than I had been. And for me, I feel so much better now dealing with opposing counsel. I don't feel any sort of animosity towards them. Um, I think I've gotten better at thinking through their side of things, which we never want to do because we don't want to, we don't want to admit that they have a point. Right. But it helps to do that. I mean, not, I mean, both strategically, but also emotionally for me to realize that they might have motives that I don't necessarily understand. And so the emotional reaction I'm having to them could be completely unfounded. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that with me. And I think I've brought this example to the podcast where I had an opposing counsel who we've had great relationships with in court in person. And then I get, I get this email and my brain says, what an a-hole Who yeah. is this guy, <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's this really long thing. And then, and then I paused and I just said, okay, hold on. This guy's been very nice to me in the past. So let's think this through. And of course you can just see like, oh, this guy's showing this email to his client. Like this isn't for me. Yes. Right. He's sending it to me. But it is not for me. It is to show his client he is fighting for, you know, his client. And even though we've had prior negotiations and it's very clear where the case is going, this is not something that I need to internalize and yes. have angst over. It's just for me to receive it so that he can show his client he did the best that he could. Yeah. There's always going to be posturing. Yes. But if you realize that it is just posturing and it's not personal, it's a lot easier for you to 
respond to it and get the most out of it. Yeah. I mean, then you can start analyzing his position and all this stuff, but you can also just save hours of time, hours of your life by not making things personal and just saying like, oh, let me just, this is me and my brain and it's just making interpretations and it doesn't mean what I think it means. And then you can go through your day versus showing all your coworkers this email yes. and like gossiping about it and like say, and then writing an email and then deleting it and then writing one and then showing it to one of your coworkers to see, is this okay if I send it? Right. Yes. <laughs> Save yourself the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Anything. Oh, here's what I wanted to talk about because we talk so much about mindset work on this podcast there were thoughts that you practiced and I don't know if you're aware of them. I certainly saw them as we work together. Are there any thoughts that you practiced and maybe you didn't believe at first and then now you feel like you believe them? Yeah. I mean, I wrote them down on little pieces of paper and taped them to my computer. Yes. I love that. (laughs) Most of them are at home because a lot of our, um, a lot of my coaching was while I was still fully remote. Mm-hmm. And I'm now back in my office three days a week. Um, and so I have a sticky note in front of me that says, are you nitpicking? <laughs> I need to know more about this. Tell me. So I would get done with a brief or just an email and I would read it like 50 times coming up with like all these edits to make. It's not even that I was finding mistakes. I would just think of another way to word something. And it was just taking so much time that I could have been devoting to other things, not only at work, but just being done for the day and going for a run. So I have this sticky note asking me if I'm nitpicking. I love it. Because I don't want perfection to be the enemy of good. Yeah. Um, I, to this day, will even like tell my associates that like, you're going to make mistakes. It's fine. Um, so I have that sticky note in front of me. Are you nitpicking so that I make sure that perfection is not the enemy of good. And then I have other sticky notes at home that tell me to, um, let's see, I've got one that says it does not need to get done right now. Mm. So that reminds me that you know, I have a time in my calendar where I am planning on wrapping up my work and stopping. And it reminds me that whatever I am working on, I can find a good stopping point. It doesn't have to get done today because, you know, the deadline is next week. So why do I need to get get it done today? Um, I've got, how can I make my life easier? Mm. And that's all that's for me that, you know, that goes from setting out my workout clothes for the next day and packing them or delegating to associates or to my legal assistant, any way that I can make my life easier. And then one of the ones that's helped me more recently is just, you know, pause, think about your emotion and and what's behind it, what's behind the feeling. And what, you know, what is the worst case scenario here? What is the worst thing that could happen? And when I actually identify what that is, it's not so bad. 
Yeah. Even the worst case scenario is not so bad. Yeah. There's one thought that I've seen you develop and practice that has had a huge impact. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's what I want matters. Yes. Yeah. I think that is on a sticky note. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, tell me why that was one that really hit home for you and made an impact. It's almost hard to put into words um, because it's not like I didn't know what I wanted out of life and out of my job, but I kept kind of coming up with excuses for why I couldn't put myself first or do what I wanted to do. (laughs) Um, And that thought reminds me that there's a reason why what I want to do is important. It, you know, it's, it's there for me. So there's that element of getting to do what I want to do, but also understanding that when I put myself first, I show up better for others Mm. and that then everyone wins. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's such a good one. Okay. So let's see here. We've done a lot of work on streamlining things for you. And this is something that we do in practice and coaching is evaluating something and then without judgment, starting to see how you can improve things. And I know that one area was one of the trials that you had and how you wanted to approach things differently during the next trial. I'm curious what your experience has been around, and you mentioned this, like, how do I make things easier? But what has your experience been around taking these concepts that you're learning around evaluating and using those in your practice, whether it's your calendar or trial processes or talking to associates, any, any experiences you want to share? Yeah. So I think a big part of it is actually reflecting back on previous experiences and thinking about what worked and what didn't and what I want to improve. Cause I think for a long time, I would just, I would have an experience, like I would go to trial and it would be a whirlwind and I would just say, thank God that's over, move on to the next thing Mm -hmm. and not think about how I wanted to improve that experience. So because I had two trials this year, pretty close back to back, which is pretty rare in my practice, it gave me the opportunity to think about what went well, um, what I could have done better what happened that um, I felt like it went wrong, but then in retrospect, wouldn't have made a difference. Mm. Um, And that helped me figure out, okay, I'm putting in place my schedule for this coming trial. Um, What do do I need to do in order to get ready? Um, What kind of mindset do I want going in? I mean, even just the concept of having a schedule for trial was completely different for me. I mean, my first trial, I just, I would get up and start working and I wouldn't eat. And then at some point 
I would go to bed and I couldn't, sometimes I couldn't even tell you what time of day that was. Mm. And for the second trial to actually put in place, you know, I'm going to go to bed or I'm going to leave, you know, our office at the hotel where we were staying, I'm going to leave by this particular time and I'm going to tell others that's what I'm doing (laughs) so that I'm setting expectations for myself, but also keeping others in the loop. And, and so they know sort of when to expect me to be there and, and realizing that I'm putting myself first in some sense, like I'm going to get up and go walk around at noon in order to get outside the hotel and just, but telling people that, that I'm going to go do that and putting it in my schedule. And then eventually I was able to convince associates to do it with me. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think, um, treating each experience as, um, an experiment and looking back on it to see what, what does work and what doesn't and putting into place, um, I mean, parameters for how it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, trial is a different animal because you are putting so much focus in such a short amount of time. So I think it's even more important to implement these tools, even when you're not in trial, because then when you are in trial, you can say, okay, this is the bare minimum I need to survive. I need to run. I need to walk. I need to sleep X amount of hours. I need to make sure I'm eating at this time and this time. Yeah. You know, I need to make sure I'm still functioning. Yes. And that I'm not a horrible human being to people. Yeah. (laughs) And that I'm calm, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you think that with, with some of these big trials that we have, everyone just goes in with the expectation that it's just, you're on 24 seven and you'll sleep when you're done and you'll eat when you're done. And I did that for a trial and yes, it, it ended up going well, but man, I was miserable and I probably could have done things better. And, you know, I could think of a million ways we could have done things differently. Um, And just going into the second trial with the concept of like, you know, you actually can have a start and stop time for working at trial. Crazy, it's just just kind of like a brand new concept for me, but I realized at the end of the day, that was going to make me do a better job. Yeah. I, and I think that we're not taught that that is going to, that's going to have an impact. Mm -hmm. We're just taught. We just need to keep working. Yes. But if we just keep working over time, we're going to like say the trials a week, right. Or two weeks, you know, you do that just a few days and you start to lose your focus, your concentration, your ability to produce output that doesn't have tons of errors. So, so important to take care of ourselves during that. Yeah. And I think I realized too, you know, it's, it's one, um, you know, it's one for thing for me as a, a partner at the firm to put those stops in place for working. I know it's so hard for associates to do that because they feel like they need to work 24 seven to prove that they're committed. And I think there's this pool for partners to say, well, I did it. 
they need to experience it too. Like learn by trial by fire. Yeah. Um, that's horrible. And you know, I, <laughs> yeah. And I just realized like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. And so at trial, I would go around and make sure like, you know, it's, it's dinner time, and I can tell, you know, this one associates at her computer and she has no intention of getting up for dinner. It's like, no, 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 stop what you're doing. Let's go to dinner. If you're not there in five minutes, I'm coming back for you, you know, to make sure that they're eating and that they're sleeping and, you know, towards the end of trial, making sure that we have a little fun. So, you know, going out and finding a restaurant and inviting the associates and just having them let loose a little bit so they know that, you know, we want to make sure that (laughs) they're getting, they're being watered and fed basically. Yeah. Watered fed. And then you can retain them because they think, Oh, okay. This is a place that actually cares about me and my well-being, my well-being. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully we can get to that point. I don't think it's always been that way. Yeah. But hopefully we can get to that point. Yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Okay. So we work together for six months and well, we're still working together, but mm-hmm. you re-signed with me. But yes, what I tell people is that I break things down into six months because then you get to redecide if you want to keep working with me. And during that six months, you are there to get what you came for for those six months. So I'm curious, like if you look back at those first six months that we were together, did you get what you came for? Yes, absolutely. I think I was able to take back control of my time, have a better relationship with time, um, put myself first and really start thinking about how do I want the next couple of years to look? What what do I want to do? What are my goals? And I think I got that out of the first six months. And then now I'm starting to work on some of those goals. So realizing that I needed to make business development a priority. Um, just even realizing that and committing to that was step one. And now it's step two where I actually have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I need help with that. Because <laughs> like I tell everyone, business development seems so like used car salesman to me. Mm. Um, I hate going to conferences and putting myself out there. It feels so uncomfortable, but you know, that's a goal that I want to work on. And I know that there are small things that I can do to make it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And I've already started doing some of those. So it's those kinds of, of goals that I can actually have now that I'm now working on with you. Yeah. Cause once we get our time squared away, then we can start moving forward on the big goals. Exactly. That's so great. Okay. So we're wrapping up here and I want to respect your time. Is there anything that, cause I could talk to you about this all day long. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything that you want to make sure, you know, there's a lawyer listening to this who is frazzled and feels like they don't have control of their time, that they don't have the ability to um, make things happen the way that you've made things happen, what would you say to them? Oh, I think what would have, what really appealed to me when I was in that situation was realizing that it did not need to be an overhaul change to my life 
that was going to improve it and my relationship with work and time. It really was small little changes in the way that I approached time and changes just in the way I was thinking about my job and how I was reacting to it and react to the people in my life. So it, it really was small little things that ended up making a big difference, but it is little things that it's just so hard for you to recognize on your own. You need an objective third party yeah, <laughs> to help you realize when your brain is just straight up lying to you. Yes. <laughs> All right. So can you share with everybody where they can get in touch with you if they want to uh, ask you questions, maybe, you know, especially around some of the interests that you talked about at the beginning of this episode, and I'll make sure I link to them in the show. Notes. Yeah. So I am on LinkedIn, obligatory LinkedIn profile. That's a good way to get in touch with me. Um, If you want to see my life outside of work, I don't have a whole lot of social media, but my beloved Labrador retriever does have an Instagram account. (laughs) Okay. What is his, what's his handle? (laughs) Her handle is at living the pup life. Living the pup life. Yeah. Excellent. My daughter makes an appearance every once in a while, but right now she's moving too fast. So she just shows up as a blur. I want to thank you again for being here, Shannon. This has been really great. I think this is going to help a lot of people and you gave them a lot of practical tips that they can start implementing too. Well, good. That's, that's my goal. Not only helping myself, but trying to help others who are in a similar situation. So I appreciate it. So good. If you resonated with what you heard today, go back and re-listen to this episode. I guarantee that we covered so much. You are going to want to go back, pick up on things, take notes, bring it back to your firm, start implementing. She gave us a ton of actionable steps. I'm also going to link to everything that we talked about in the show notes at dinacataldo.com forward slash 248. And if you heard what Shannon had to say and you know you want help, book a strategy session with me. You can change and I will be with you every step of the way. You can book a call with me at dinacataldo.com forward slash strategy session. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week and I will talk to you soon. Bye.